Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 3 of 7 podcast. This is Chad. This episode is a after-action report on the Hennepin 100-mile race that I ran with my good friend Jesse Itzler this past weekend. If you don't know Jesse, please find him and follow him. He's an awesome individual, very accomplished in the business world, but he is also a ultra runner, a father, a husband, and so many more things. Jesse drops some awesome wisdom on us here in this episode uh, for life, for business, for running, you name it. This is a must listen. So thank you guys again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy it. Here he is, Mr. Jesse Itzler. All right, Mr. Jesse Itzler, welcome to the 3 of 7 podcast. I've been looking forward to this one, man. Thanks so much for having me. We're fired up about it, Jesse. Thank you so much for coming on, my man. And uh, so we're just going to jump right into this, Jesse. My first question for you is one that I've thought about a lot, Jesse, because by society standards, brother, you, you've made it, man. You, you've, got a, you've got a house full of beautiful kids. You've got a wonderful life. You don't have to get out here and grind yourself into a fine powder. And run a hundred miles, man. You don't have to do that. Um, so my question is, why do you run ultra, Jesse? Well, that's a really good question. I think I think the the answer is two part. I think the first part is uh, there's a tremendous camaraderie. You know, I don't know. I could go out there by myself and do it. Uh, we're coming off a race where we, Chad, you and I did a hundred miler together with two other friends this weekend. And, it, you know, like you can't replicate what happens out there in a race like that sitting on a beach at a hotel in Hawaii. You know, you can't replicate. I'm still smiling, laughing, crying, everything from it. So I love that part of it. Um, but for me, it's like I, I love the challenge. I love learning. I love throwing myself out there. I'm a big believer in building your life resume. These are life resume moments, and I like stacking those accomplishments, wins or losses, on top of each other and trying to build up that life resume. So, and it's addicting, man. You know, once you do one of these, I, I, I came home, you know, you're really, really high. high. I can't even imagine even getting more high than I felt when we crossed the finish line and even here a couple of days after. So it's like you want to keep that going. It's, it's what's next. And um, I think I think that's why it's just constant growth. And, and lastly, I would say is like, I just don't want to look back when I'm 80 and be like having the regret that I didn't do things that, you know, because I was too comfortable or I got to a certain point. Like there is no certain point. It's always it's always like, man, all that stuff's in the back, all that. That's the, the work stuff and the history. It's in the back. And it's just like. I look through the front windshield of, of what's next, and that's always how I've approached it. I love that, Jesse. That's an awesome mindset, brother. And can you speak a little bit to the perspective that the these long, super difficult races give you and, and how that perspective transfers into your everyday life, into business, the skills and the, the things that you learn that you learned this past weekend on that 100-mile journey? Do those things transfer into real life for you? 
Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, I think the same courage it takes to even sign up and do these races is the same courage it takes to start your own business. You always have the doubt, like, I didn't train enough. I'm not ready. I could have done more. I'm not good enough. You know, you always have that doubt. It's the same doubt, at least I do, when I toe the line. You know, am I ready? What's going to happen? It's the same fears that I had in starting businesses. Do I have the skills? I didn't even go to business school. I never took a business class. My dad owned the plumbing supply house. Like I didn't have, how could I compete with the big boys? You have all this doubt. So the doubts are very similar going into it. Uh, the courage that it takes is the same. And then once you're in it, in these races, I found this weekend when I was kind of just, st I'm still processing it and stuff is going to come at me for weeks after the benefits and the lessons continue to compound weeks after you cross the finish line. But for me, one of the big takeaways um, was, you know, in business, I found that the greats never panic. When they have an obstacle that hits them in the face out of nowhere, where the obstacle seems insurmountable or super challenging, there's never a panic. There's always a troubleshooting moment and figuring out how to get around that obstacle, through the obstacle or over it, and then just keep going. And, you know, in this race, I got super cold. I, I, I was actually, I didn't tell you this, Jab, but I was really mentally out of it the first 30 miles. The first five miles, I was like, this is easy. We're going to cruise through this. Man, I got great friends here. They're going to talk me through it. We're going to have a great time. Man, this is just a one-day podcast, you know? Then I hit mile six and I'm like, wait a second, I got 23 more hours of this, you know, like, and now it's raining and now it's getting a little cold. All of a sudden I'm hungry. Uh, my knee hurts out of nowhere. And then I got, I just had a really bad internal attitude about it. And I couldn't stop the thoughts. And until about mile 30, where I made a decision that I have to stop this nonsense and, and flip this around. Like how lucky am I to be out here and all that stuff. So I really focused on that. And then I, I went through a time where I was really cold and you, you told me not to panic. You were like, you know, calm down. Let's warm you up. Let's get you right. You know, my hips had locked up my hip flexors because I was so cold. And it's those kind of obstacles and troubleshooting them. There's a commonality between business and ultra running between the troubleshooting the problems, on the, not panicking, figuring out how to get through it, you know, taking these massive, what seems like a massive insurmountable goal and shrinking it down into baby steps. And I think that's true of anyone starting a business. That's sound wisdom, my brother. And I've seen that same thing, uh, you know, throughout my journey too, with uh, the, the same relation between what we do out on the trail and what we do in life, man. So I love that, brother. And and I think that's a perfect transition into, you know, that experience you talked about where you got super cold. You were you were in the 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 beginning stages of hypothermia without a doubt. Um, and 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 you worked through that. Awesome, man. It took a lot of courage because that's a scary thing when you experience that the first time. Um, I wanted to ask you, Jesse, what are a few experiences that you had during that journey, that hundred mile journey that made you grow the most as a human being. Um, and some people would call these hard times or obstacles, but that's not what we call them, right? They're not hard times or obstacles. They're experiences that we have. They're, they're, they are tests 
that force us to grow as human beings. So could you give us an ex- a specific example of an experience that you had that forced you to grow? Interestingly, um, you know, this journey started before we got to the starting line. We came in with a really good plan. Uh, our plan was to run six minutes and walk four minutes until, as you told me many times, until I gave you a reason why we couldn't. And um, it, w- it wasn't it was a calculated plan that started with like, OK, there's a 24 hour goal. What's our average pace? How much how can we defer? How can we delay fatigue and give our, put ourselves in the best position to finish? Not to win, because that wasn't my goal, but but just to get my damn 51 year old body across the finish line. And so so the race started before we even got to the starting line by agreeing as a group that we were going to run together in this format. And, um, you know, you're, you you have said this to me many times about the importance of creating a plan and executing that plan and not deviating from it. So um, part of the part of what happened during the race was I wanted to get off the plan because I was the slowest runner of the four of us in the group. And I was finding myself at the end of the runs being further behind everybody. And then I'd have to, you know, go and run and run a little extra to catch up or walk a little faster. And it was like it was starting to really mess with my head, man. Like, slow down, fellas, you know, kill him. And I didn't want to say that. So I was like, hey, Chad, you think we can maybe switch and just run for four minutes? And then because I was really tailing at the end of the six minutes. So um, and you, you talked me out of that which I appreciate, which is, which is a great thing. Um, specific. So I just wanted to share that the, with, with, you know, with you and everybody that it started way before we got to the finish line in planning it. I think the biggest obstacles, man, was my own doubt. It was just like those thoughts that like came into my head out of nowhere. Like sometimes my kids would come into my head. Sometimes I, I would say like what you said at the beginning of the podcast, why are you even out here, man? It's Sunday football day. What are you doing? You know, and then I started I started like getting this like. I just felt really proud of myself, man. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why I like to do these is, you know, going back to your first question is I like to do things that make me feel proud of myself. Mm -hmm. So I think like that's a really important people want validation. They want to feel heard. They want to feel important. And part of that starts with feeling important and proud of yourself as a human and as a person, as a parent, as a runner. I felt a really strong commitment to finishing this race for you. And like I even asked you at one point, Chad, I didn't want to let you down. I asked you at one point, I'm like, do you feel any pressure, you know, responsibility with me and the other guys? here? Because I knew you were going to finish, you, you know, like you, you had no there was no doubt. And um so I had all these different emotions, man, and that's exhausting on top of just running. It's exhausting planning, traveling, getting there, signing up, the fear, the accountability, everybody on social media. Oh, you're doing a re- you're running a chat. What? You oh man, like there's pressure. And that stuff's exhausting. And all that comes into play over a long stretch of time with, you know, where so much can go wrong. I mean, I didn't feel we had it in the bag. Until we got to like 25 miles. I never thought we had it in the bag. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, 20, I'm sorry, 25 miles. 90, 90 like till there was like about 25 minutes left in the race. Yep. 
I didn't feel like we had it in the bag. You know, I just felt like anything could go wrong at any minute. Yeah. 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 So, so Jesse, you talk about those doubts and those things that pop into your head, man. How do you manage that? And how do you keep, uh, how do you keep those doubts and those, and those thoughts and that pressure from, from gaining traction and taking over the situation, man? What do you do to mitigate the, and, and minimize the strength of those thoughts? I literally say in my head, I'm going to counterpunch him. So I counterpunch him with more positive thoughts or reassuring thoughts. And, and that's what I did. I made a conscious decision at mile 30 when I was going real negative in my head um, to flip that around. And, and then I had an amazing last 70 miles of the race as opposed to the first 30. I'm not talking about physically. I'm just talking about mentally. So I really counterpunch him. I reframe it. I reframe the negativity into something else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's easier said than done. I'm 51 years old. I've been in some of these races. I've been, I'm battle tested in business. You know, I've been through some of this stuff, man. And I've, I've, I've learned through time and through getting egg on my face, how, uh, how to reframe that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, totally, man. And, and I want you to tell me too, Jesse, um, as far as we've talked about a lot of times, the power of the spoken word. And one thing that we use during the race is we would tell each other, I never get tired. How are you a believer in that? How did that work for you? What did you feel when you, when you spoke those words? I never get tired. What did that do to you mentally, man? It was unbelievable. Chad says to me, you said to me at like, I, I don't know, remember where we were. We maybe at around mile 60 and he said, he said, Jess, you know what? I said, well, I thought you were going to tell me like the earth is, was discovered in this uh, something, you know, like that, like was, who knew what was going to come out of your mouth? He said, I never get tired. And he goes, I want you to say it. I said, you want me to say it? He said, yeah, I want you to say it. I said, I never get tired. He said, no, no, I want you to say it like you mean it and say it loud. I'm like, Chad, I never get tired. He said, say it, say it again. I never get tired, man. I never get tired. And what I didn't tell you is after I said that, I felt crazy energized, but I said it about 500 times in my head. So I said it out loud. Sometimes I would whisper it too. I didn't want people like laugh at me. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, so we would say it in a joke. It really helped me. It really helped me. And that's what I call a counterpunch. Yep. So perfect example of a counterpunch. Starting to fade. It's getting, you know, we went through, we went through warm sun, wind, wet. It was super slippery and, and muddy. I, pebbles in my shoe, you know, that stuff all starts to get into your head. The misery starts to creep in and then boom, you counter punch it with, I never get tired. I don't get tired, man. I don't get tired. And now you're in a fight with the negativity and you're punching it. And that it really, it really helped. And it's now if you have a person doing it with you, a teammate, that energy was crazy, man. Crazy. It carried me. Yeah, yeah, it's the spoken word. I love seeing it when the spoken word, it, when we utilize the spoken word and, and we see it work in our situation. And when it's when it's really hard and you're in a really tough spot, um, mentally or physically, it's hard to remember and and use those skills, that power of the spoken word. And I think that's what's awesome about having a teammate there with you is is one of you may be feeling good while the other one's not feeling so good and we can remind each other about those skills about those tools that we have in our toolbox 
and we can, you know, just the spoken word, man. I, I remind you of it. You and then you it takes you having the courage to utilize the skill and then it works. You know, it's so funny, Chad, if you would have told me 30 years ago when I was 20 years old that one of the most important things you have to do is speak it. I would be like, that is so corny. That's ridiculous. You know, that is just that's childish. And now it's probably the most powerful thing in the toolbox. One of them. Right. It's one of the most. And then I started thinking back to my early business days when I was in my 20s and my partner and I used to always say when we started our business, we would be like, you know, and I slept on 18 couches when I was coming up. Friends that put me up. I had nothing. And my, my partner was like, man, we're millionaires. They just haven't paid us yet. And we would always say it every almost every day at work. We come and be like, how's it feel to be a millionaire, man? We're millionaires. They just haven't paid us yet. And we would say it all the time. And we backed into it, you know, like we really believe I really believed in my head that I was a millionaire and there's nobody had paid me the money yet. I believe that deserved it. And I believe that it was coming. And until it actually happened, I just had to fill in fill in the blanks. And one, one other thing I want to say about counterpunching is and I think this is really important. You, you can comment on it too, Chad, or, or tell me if you agree or disagree. But like. I believed I belonged on the trail. No, I believed that I belonged on the trail. There was never a point where I said to my, I was, I was, you know, I always felt when I looked around at the other runners competing, when I saw the 300 participants, it's when I was eyeing the people when we were getting our number the day before the race, I might not felt trained enough or might felt, of course I had the doubt, but I still felt like I belonged. I still felt like, you know, I, I, I respected the distance, but I knew that I, 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 like we were going to finish it. You know, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And um, that's a counterpunch too. believing, you know, knowing that you actually belong. And in business, um, there were a lot of times where I felt like I didn't belong, you know, and in those times I, I really didn't have the success. You know, because you're, you're coming from a place of insecurity, you're coming from a place of um, fear, weakness. And then there were times where I said to myself, I might not be the smartest, I might not be the best, but I still belong. I have a, a thing that I can contribute to this. In this race yesterday, that was willpower. I might not be the fastest, I might not be the best, I might not be the strongest, but I will, I'm not going to get out, I'm not going to on my friends out here. There's just no way. I'm going to be the one that raises my hand and be like, guys, you guys keep going and let me see if I meet you at the end. So you find the lane where you belong and it, it's, it's a sense of relief and a sense of energy. It happens as a parent too. You know, like I'm a parent, like I belong in this role right now. You know, I don't know everything. It's a work in progress for me, but it's okay to, to, to give yourself that pat on the back and acknowledge that, like, you know, you're here and you belong in this role. It might sound weird, but I, I really believe that, man. Like, I felt like I belonged out there as part of the community and as part of the uh, pack that could, that could complete this task. 
Totally, Jesse. And, you know, that brings me back to a lesson that you taught me on Friday evening before the race. And you said when you're in the right lane, when you're in that lane that you belong in, the well never runs dry. You remember that? 100%. And I think that's what you're talking about right now. The well never runs dry. When you're not in a fake lane, you're there and that willpower's there and you are not going to quit, man, because the well never runs dry. You're in your lane, man. That lesson has impacted me tremendously, brother. Yeah, like, you know, you're a great teacher, Chad. You know, um, you're a teacher. You're, you know, you're a teacher in leadership and, and so many different things. And um, the, the ideas, the lessons as a teacher, you, you're gonna, they're going to keep growing within you and you're going to keep sharing them with the world and the world's going to benefit from those lessons. And if you have, you know, right now you have things like don't die in the chair and all the different things, the power of the spoken word and all these things that you've put out there, there's a hundred of them behind it. You're never going to run out of them because you're a leader and that's what you do and you're a teacher and that's what you do. And what I was explaining to you is, you know, I, I started out as a creative guy. You know, like I'm, I'm, that was my lane. I wasn't, I couldn't outsmart anybody. I was just, I had decent vision, good people, person, creative in, in how I approach things and in my ideas. And I remember, you know, going in times in the music business where I started out and uh, there was an artist signed to my label. He won a Grammy. And I remember him saying to the, to the producers, like, this is going on my third album. This is going on my fourth album. This is going on my fifth album. I want to save this one for down there. And I was like, man, put them all on the album, on this album and make it the best album because you're never going to run out of hits. This is what you do. If you believe you are an artist and a songwriter, you're going to have hits forever. You're in the right lane. If it's fake and this is a marketing thing, that's a whole different story. But if you're in the your own authentic lane, the well doesn't run dry because it's in your DNA. It's baked in your DNA. And, that, and I truly believe it. Yep. Yep. No, and I truly believe that too, Jesse. And it takes so much pressure off of me. And I think anyone that can grasp that concept, when you're in the right lane, the well's not going to run dry, man. You, you, you put out what you have to put out for the day and don't worry about saving it for later because more's coming. It takes off, takes the pressures off, man. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I totally believe it. Yeah. That's, Chad, you're going to look back on in 10 years, you'll look back on your podcast and your journey, and you're going to, you will not even believe how much more is going to come out of you. You won't even believe it, man. Every time you run, every time you're in the garden, every time you're going to learn, you're going to come back with 10 more things. You're going to be like, whoa, the floodgates are open because you are in the right lane. And when you're in the light lane, you found your purpose. Amen to that, brother. <laughs> that fires me up every time, Jesse. And yet you found your purpose. And like, what do we really go through life for? To find our purpose. What it is you're good at, what it is you love to do, and helping people. If you can figure out what it is you love to do, you get really good at it, and you're helping people, you found your purpose. I didn't say anything about money. I didn't say anything about, I'm talking about what it is you love to do that makes you happy and proud. Proud, what we talked about before. Right. You get really good at it over time, honing your craft, learning. Mm -hmm. And now you're helping people. What's better than that? Fine. That's it, brother. Your purpose isn't like when I just man, I don't I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way. 
So I'm going to be careful how I say it because I don't want it to be misinterpreted. But I have a lot of friends who are great guys, by the way, who sit behind a computer and they trade stocks and they make a ton of money trading stocks. Now, some of those people do amazing things with that money. They're charitable. They can change the world through giving, right? Other people want to buy fancy cars and, and other stuff, and they're not as. And, and I'm not knocking anybody for doing anything. You have your own. You make. You, you know. But I'm talking about purpose. Purpose. That's just being rich. There's the purpose comes in when you really get the power of helping people. And you know, I think even this thing in this in the race yesterday. I felt a sense of purpose because every time we ran by by a, a woman, a man, a kid, whatever, guys are doing great. You're looking good. We were picking people up. You especially, Chad. Everyone we ran by, thank you for being out here. Thank you for your support. Every aid station. You must have said 500 thank yous in, in a 23-hour period. That's helping people, man, in their own way. It get, it, they come back and be like, wow, I, I really got rewarded today for standing there and handing out water to people at a race in the middle of nowhere in middle America. There's, there's a sense of the end game of, and, and to me that, that is a big part of what purpose is. Don't get lost. I think people get lost in all this, in the social media and the glitz and all this stuff. When you simplify it, right? You're, 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 one of, you're, you're, you're a key component of keeping things simple, right? Like the beauty of the race is how simple it was. But if you dummy down life into those components, what do I love to do? Can I get really good at it? And then I, I'm helping people. That's a really powerful triangle. That's so powerful, Jesse. And, and I have really just got to a point in my life where I've grasped that. And that, and that is how I live my life now. Um, that is what three of seven project is all about. Three of seven project at this moment does not make any money at all. Um, but but we are fulfilling our purpose by doing the things we're passionate in and helping others. And it's such a fulfilling life, man. It's it's it just sets you free like nothing else can. And and, I, and, and I'm a capitalist. I, I'm not against listen making money or anything like that. I, I'm just and 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 I'm just saying. There's another there's purpose doesn't correlate to income. Totally. Totally. I agree. I agree 100 percent. And I think I think that when you're following that purpose, that the money will eventually come um, because you have to ha you have to make some sort of income, obviously, to, to live life and take care of your family. But I think the money will eventually come when you're following that purpose. That's that's kind of the way I believe. Well, hey, let's get back into the race, Jesse. Uh, one thing that I have to talk to you about, brother, is your diet. And uh, I want to start off with your day-to-day -day diet. I want to talk about what that looks like. And what I love about your diet, Jesse, and what I love about basically your personality is you're, you don't tell anyone what to do. You just tell people what you what works for you and diet nowadays is is a hot topic and there's a lot of people that are so militant about these certain types of diet and one thing that's drawn me to to watching the way that you eat and the way that you care for your body is because you're not militant about it you simply say hey this is what works for me if you want to try it try it if not no worries I think that's really special 
the Friday when we were hanging out, I ate fruit all day and I felt I felt awesome, man. Talk to us about your diet uh, from day to day. And then I want to go into what you used uh, during the race and what worked and what didn't work. Yeah, well, you're exactly right, Chad. You know, I've tried a bunch of things until I found something that worked for me. So I read a book called Fit for Life uh, by a guy named Harvey Diamond when I was running my first marathon in 1991, looking for an advantage. And in the book, it challenged the reader to only eat fruit until noon for 10 days. And then day on, on day 11, go back to your regular breakfast, which for me was like bacon, eggs, whatever I was eating at the time, toast. And I did. So I, I, on day 11, I went back and I felt terrible when I had all that stuff. So uh, for the last almost, I guess, 30 years, I've only had fruit until 12 noon. And, you know, I could talk about the reasons why, but it's all about energy and efficiency in your digestion because digestion requires the mo more energy than any, any, all other energy we'll use combined. Like we use so much energy in our lifetime for digestion. If we can digest stuff more efficiently, it frees up more energy to be vibrant, fight infection, disease or whatever. Fruit digests very easily on an empty stomach. So without getting too technical, trial and error for me. I tried it. I felt great. And I never went back. Mm -hmm. So day to day, my diet looks like I'm basically a fruitarian up until I am a fruitarian up until 12. And then sometimes I extend that and I eat super clean. So I'm, predomin I'm predominantly 80 percent, 85 percent vegan and raw. I have I, I'm not a fanatic about it. I'll go out and have fish with my wife. If we go out, I'll have pizza with my kids. But that's the way I, I pre predominantly eat. Um, I keep it super clean. Um, and that's what works good for me. And I'm 51 years old, just ran a hundred miler, uh, ran an 80 miler a month ago. And I feel knock on wood, man, real, really good. And I, 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 a lot of that is because of my diet. Let me say this. You only get 21 meals a week. Most people, Breakfast, lunch, and dinner times seven. 21 meals. Now, how do you, what do you want to do with them? And a lot of people say, okay, well, Tuesday, Taco Tuesday, I'm going to have pizza. That's my Friday. Sunday, I have pancakes. Wednesdays, I have this. But it's not a big deal because it's only once a day. You only get 21 meals. So when, you, when I look at my, my totality of it, I want to keep about 50 to 60% of those super clean. And that means unprocessed, natural, from the earth food for me. And that's how I sort of do it. Race day, no different. I started out I, the first bunch of miles up until 12 noon pretty much. And again, this isn't for everybody. This is just what I've been doing and it worked for me. I was pretty much eating fruit at the, at the aid stations. Uh, and then I started to take in more calories and other sources later on. Um, I ran a race a month ago called The Last Man Standing, and I was really powered by most of my calories were in the form of uh, a goo product called Roctane mixed with water. Uh, and I was getting about 250 calories an hour through that. And then I was taking goos and um, amazing product. But um, it, after that much, it was super taxing on my GI tract. So this, this time I switched up to really all natural foods and it, during the race. And I did have some goos with caffeine. I had four total the whole race. Um, and it really worked better for me sticking to that. And, and, and lastly, I want to say, I, I was looking back on the race. I had a, a lot of coconut water, natural from the nut, 
unpasteurized coconut water. And it is loaded in, electro, in electrolytes, loaded in potassium and sodium. And that really, really, really helped me. I really believe in that. Um, and that's what I did. Give me, uh, give me a couple of, of speci- just for the listeners, a couple of those all-natural foods that you used, uh, specific examples, because some of the stuff you were using was very unique. So what are some specific examples of, of what, you, what worked best for you as far as those natural whole foods that you were eating during the race? Your brain can only operate, has to convert everything to glucose. So I had a lot of honey. And that's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, controversy around diets or whatever. One thing is undebatable. Your brain's only source of energy is glucose. And everything has to convert whatever it is to glucose. And so honey is a really, really good thing to have. Your body craves, craves those kind of sugars during a race. So I was eating raw honey on a spoon. I had about a teaspoon every aid station pretty much, which was really good. Uh, like I said, I had the coconut water. Um, I was having a lot of avocado. And I, every three hours, I had avocado and banana with a pinch of Himalayan salt to get my sodium. And that was really helpful. I was only eating about about 150 to 200 calories total, including liquid per hour, 200 to 250, I would say per hour. So I'd have some honey, I'd have a banana, which is 100 calories. I must have had 10 bananas on the run. You don't want to have a lot of fiber for your stomach. So I would better to drink the juice in an orange than to actually eat, you know, to have the, this is the one time where you don't want the fiber during a race. So you want to have the juices. And then later on in the race, I would introduce running products like jelly, like those sports beans, which I love. I mean, I, that was like eating a seven course gourmet meal when they gave me the jelly bean things, man. I couldn't get enough of them. Um, and that was it. I had some booze with some caffeine later on, late in the race. I had soup, vegetable broth soup. Uh, again, sodium calories. And then I had ramen noodles. That was my entire diet for the race. Yep. Yep. And I, I think that's a really what, what I got out of that too, Jesse. One is the honey. I had never seen that before. So that's something that I'm going to utilize now in my future races um, because I saw how well it worked for you. And I also really liked the variety of of stuff that you were eating um, because, you know, I think one of the dangers in a hundred mile race is if you don't have a good variety of food that you that you enjoy uh, you're going to get tired of that, just that one single thing. So you were very flexible with your diet and you had a variety of options there to choose from. And, uh, yeah, your stomach was solid the whole way, brother. I never felt the, you know, just because I eat clean and I'm, I'm mostly vegan, et cetera. I don't feel deprived. If you feel like you're depriving yourself, uh, that's going to create a lot of, a lot of issues. What's interesting about the honey is I had read that, um, Jimmy Connors, who was one of the best tennis players when I was growing up, when I was a kid, uh, was known for his incredible endurance. And he used to eat honey, like just eat honey during the matches. And I thought that was so weird until I started trying it. And I, I swear by it. I love it. So I think it's like instant fuel. Yep. Yep. No, I love that too, man. That's definitely an awesome tool that I have not seen before out on the race course. So um, thanks for sharing that with us, brother. Uh, give me real quick, Jesse, what is a 
highlight or a high point of the race for you. Um, it can be where maybe something in your mind clicked or maybe it's a certain experience or a certain phrase or whatever. Just just give us a one or a couple highlights of the race, man. Yeah, I, I think uh, in general, I just there were parts of the race where the four of us were running and nobody else was around and where it was dark and it was just, and we were quiet and we were just running. All you heard was the, the steps and. It was just a great – I just remember thinking to myself, man, this is like a really good place right now in my life. You know, I'm out here like I'm single focus. When are the, my brain is getting bombarded. I call them arrows. Arrows are coming at me every day. I have four kids under 10. You know, they have issues and challenges. I have businesses, my wife. Nothing – it's not easy. And these arrows come at you all the time. And now I'm out here with no arrows. I'm naked and I'm just here with my buddies, man, running. And I was just like, this is actually super rewarding. Um, but when I got cold, my hips locked up. I was shaking and my I never experienced this in my life. My hip flexors almost to the point where I couldn't step forward. And you had said to me and we were like, we had 65 miles left. And you were like, you were like, listen, calm down. First of all, get allow the cold, just go with the cold, stop fighting it, calm down, put a hat on, warm up, move. And once you warm up, your hips are going to relax. And I was like, that's impossible. You, Chad, you don't know what you're talking about. This went through my head. What are you talking about, man? My, I can't move my hips an inch. I can't even walk to the tree. And eight minutes later, we're running at a 10 minute pace, you know, through the, through this event. And I'm like, what in the world? And I, I remember turning it to, to our crew at the pit stop. I'm like, I'm back from the dead, man. I'm back from the dead. Let's go run a race. And it was remarkable. And if I was alone, I would have panicked. I would have panicked. They would have they would they would have carted me out. So that was a great yeah. for me. And then and then lastly, I want to say when we knew when we knew we really had it in the bag, like because not only am I running my own race, I wanted my three buddies to finish side by side with me. I didn't want to break like, oh, Chad's going to sit back with Jesse and talk him into the, the finish or Mark's going to break up. Like, I wanted us to all finish together what we started, you know. And once we got to like 80 miles, it was so fun. It was like we got 20 miles left. We're going to this is we kept remember we kept saying this is happening. Mark and I were like, man, this is happening right now. This is really happening. And it was amazing. It was amazing. It was, brother, and it was. Uh, I, I'm so glad that you got to experience the, those mild, mild stages of hypothermia. So I knew what was happening because I saw that happen every single day in buds. Um, those those same symptoms of those hip flexors locking up. But now that you've experienced that, you have that in your toolbox. So next time it happens, man. You're going to be able to relax and work through it. You know exactly what to do. You know how to regulate your temperature. So that experience in and of itself, man, it, it added another tool in your toolbox that you can use in your own life and that you can also use to potentially save someone else's life down the road in a hard situation. I would say, Jesse, one of my highlights of the race was uh, Brian's leadership. When, oh. when Brian took that leadership role without any guidance or, or, or requests or direction. He just took it. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, we were, uh, we were alternating who, 
we were running six and four minute increments, running for six and walking for four. And we were switching every hour who was in charge of the clock. You know, you come up with these silly games just to pass the time. And um, we probably had 50 games that I, I could say that we played, in, you know, and, and some of them I'll mention. But one of them was who was on the, the hourly clock duty. And um, so Chad would go, Mark would go, I would go, Brian would go. And then that person would go again to set it back up. And when it was Brian's turn late in the race, he really took it to another level. He would count down. He'd be like, all right, guys, we got two. He would tell us our pace. Great pace. We're at this pace. We have two minutes left. You're doing great. Chad, you look strong. Mark, you look strong. All right, fellas, 10 seconds. We're going to walk. Nine, five. We walk. Walk with purpose. Walk. And he would just, out of nowhere, this is a quiet guy. This is a guy, I, like, I've, I've never even heard it get excited. Took this, like, out of nowhere, became a leader for two hours. And we all just fell back and, like, let him do his thing. No one even said anything. I don't think you spoke in those whole two hours other than at the end, you said, Brian, man, I'm proud of you. you we let him do his thing. And then he's like, guys, I'm done. Someone else take over. And then we, we flipped the torch. And it was unbelievable. Was it unbelievable to see that or what? It was, brother. That was just such a pleasure to watch because, like you said, Brian is such a quiet guy. And, um, and, and we didn't have to prompt him to, to take charge. He literally saw a need for leadership at the point at the point we were in our race the fatigue had set in um you know we still had a long ways to go and i think brian in and of himself identified a need for leadership and really some solid motivation for our group he identified that he took charge of it and he ran with it brother and and that changed from that moment that two hours for me really just flipped the whole energy of the back half of that race, man. Absolutely. He sensed the lull. You know, we, we went from talking, we were talking about business and family and all this stuff to getting real quiet. It got dark. You know, the whole race kind of changed. The whole momentum changed. It thinned out. No one was around. And, and he really did step up. And uh, it really re-energized everybody internally and as a group collectively. And I think he'll never forget it for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that was awesome, brother. Well, Jesse, I wanna we're, we're gonna wrap it up here soon. I wanna ask you just real quick. I, I, I wanna know, have you got back to the drawing board? Do you know what's next? I mean, have you shifted your fo have you shifted your focus to start thinking about what's coming next? As far as you know, I've heard you say so many times, you've got to put these things on your calendar. If you wanna build your life resume, you've got to put things on your calendar. To, to take you places that you're going to build your life resume. So have, have you thought about that? You know, I haven't, I do. I'm, I'm thinking about it constantly. Uh, I haven't nailed exactly what it is I want to do, but you're, you're so right, Chad. I, um, the important thing is, is that it's on the top of my mind because I want to continue to build and grow. I haven't identified what it is, but when it is, I'll put it on my calendar and I'll commit to it. What was interesting about this race is, it was super short notice. I think I called you maybe on like three weeks notice. I don't even know. Two, yep. three, something like that. And um, kind of whispered in your ear. Then I called you like two weeks later before the race. I'm like, we're really doing this. You're like, oh, I got it. I'm in. I'm like, well, you just did it. You know, it was crazy. So what's important about commit, once you actually, it's one thing to say like, I'm going to go do this. I want to run. I want to run a marathon. What does that mean? I want to run a marathon. 
versus I'm running this marathon on this date. And because you're just time, things get in the way. When you want to do it, it gets pushed down and it's never the right time. So listen, when I find out what it is, you're my first call, man. <laughs> I love that, Jesse. <clears throat> and that is so important. It, it, uh, when, when people Maybe we'll do a little shorter this time. <laughs> hey, no worries, brother. No worries. I'm, I'm, I'm down. When you, when you, when you go on a mission with Jesse, uh, you can bet it's going to be a good time. So, uh, I'm down for whatever, my man. And, and I think speaking to the lesson that you just gave us on, on keeping it in the forefront of your mind and the example you gave with a marathon, it, it, it is. It, it doesn't become real until you go and sign up and you pay your money to, to either enter this event or travel to this destination or whatever that challenge may be, it doesn't become real until you make that commitment and you write it on that whiteboard, man. And, uh, and that's a big step. And then, and then once you tell someone, then you have an accountability partner. So then you're really, you know, if you can marry the actual registration with, with, with telling someone, so now it's on your own shoulders, you're right. It's in, it's in motion until then. It's just, a, it's just a thought. Totally, brother. Totally. Um, and Jesse, I want to know, can you tell us a little bit about Camp BYLR coming up in November? Um, so I'm coming out to camp. I'm fired up about it, man. Uh, I just want to get a little bit uh, of uh, more detailed information from you for our listeners on camp. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I've been to a lot of these conferences, Chad, where they do them in hotels and um, and in and, and conference convention centers. So I wanted to do something with a little bit of a twist to it. So we rented a sleepaway camp where there's ropes courses and all the camp activities, lake, campfire. And we're bringing in expert speakers. You're one of them in leadership, wellness, mindset, uh, et cetera, for a two night, three day retreat about 90 miles outside of the woods, outside of, of, of Atlanta. And it's called Camp BYLR, Build Your Life Resume, well, where experts um, that I, mentors, people that have coached me are coming in to basically talk about the same principles that I've invested in and share them with, with a group uh, of folks. So um, it's going to be amazing. I, I'm so glad you're coming because a lot of the people that are in my world know how much I look up to you, Chad, and, and how, you know, in a short amount of time, how big an impact you've had on me and others. So it's, it's going to be great for everyone to get a chance to meet you. And people with similar amazing stories and expertise are just coming to share what they've learned in, you know, I have my business coach coming, my mind, everybody in all the most important buckets for this event. Yeah. I'm so fired up about it, brother. I cannot wait to learn. And, and, and uh, it's, I know it's going to change my life and, and change my perspective in so many ways. Um, Thank you, Jesse, for the work that you've put into that project, uh, because I really think it's going to make a tremendous impact on a lot of people. Are there places left? Can people go and sign up? And if they if there are spots left, where do people go to find more information and to sign up for camp? Appreciate that, Chad. Yeah, it's just on my website, which is just jesseitzler.com, jesseitzler.com. Uh, it's all listed there or on my Instagram at jesseitzler. Um so thanks so much. We have a great. It's going to be a great weekend. No doubt, brother. No doubt. Well, Jesse, we're going to wrap it up with that, my man. Um, I just want to tell you, brother, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for your friendship, 
Thank you for what you do to make this world a better place. You are a special person. You don't have any quit in you. And I respect you as a man and as a human being. I'm just so blessed to know you, my brother. I feel the same way, Chad. You already know how I feel about you, man. But, uh, you know, it's um, to go through something like this with you was a was an unbelievable privilege. And, uh, you know, I'm still I'm still absorbing all the nutrients that came out of that and uh, all the discussions, um, both business, family, personal, you know, it was it was unguarded. And I love those kind of conversations. And it was fascinating to see how you tick. And uh, I really appreciate you taking a weekend to, uh, to come out there with us, man, and, and, and experience it. So I feel the same exact way, man. So thank you so much. And, and thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate your time, Jesse. And I hope and pray that there's many more of those weekends coming and, and tons more perspective and lessons learned coming. And of course, for the listeners, um, I'm sure as as we put things on our schedule and as we go out on more of these adventures, we'll make sure to keep you guys updated. Thank you so much for tuning in to the three of seven podcast. Enough said. <laughs>